If you start reading the Bible from the beginning, you'll get about halfway through the second book, Exodus, and you'll come to a bunch of ancient laws. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. Now these laws are all written in the literary style we call prose discourse. And they're found all over the second, third, fourth, and fifth books of the Bible. There's over 600 laws. And since reading ancient law code isn't something you and your friends do a lot, odds are you're going to struggle. So, let's talk about how to read the law in the Bible. So the first thing to remember is that the Bible is not a behavior manual with a complete list of what to do and not to do to make God happy. Right, the Bible is an epic narrative. But in the story, God does tell people what to do. For sure. The story begins with God's plan to rule the world through humans who will trust him and live by his wisdom. And here we find the first divine command in the Bible. Don't eat from the tree of knowing good and evil, because the day you do, you'll die. But the humans take the authority to know and define good and evil for themselves, and it's not good. It leads to a world of violence and death, and they're exiled from the garden. Okay, so this was the first law in the Bible? Well, it's the first divine command, and it invites people to trust God and live by his wisdom. And so while it's not part of the laws given to Israel, it does foreshadow them because those too are invitations to trust God's wisdom. So when do the laws of Israel come? Okay, here's the story. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, so God saves them and then invites them into a covenant relationship, like a marriage. And the laws make up the terms of that covenant. And so do we get a catalog of all these laws that God gave Israel? Actually, no, we don't get all of the laws, only examples. And these have been strategically placed in between stories about how Israel keeps violating the laws. Ah, so I'm supposed to see that Israel's no different than the humans in the garden. They don't trust God or live by his wisdom. Right. And so it leads to another round of tragedy, violence, and death. And it ends in exile. And so while the laws are good and show God's wisdom, they also expose Israel's inability to be God's faithful partners. I'm following. But when I read the laws, I find a lot of strange stuff. Like not allowing clothing to be made of two different fabrics. Like how does that show God's wisdom? Okay, so it's important to realize that many of these laws are ancient ritual symbols that set Israel apart, that is, made them holy. So some laws made Israel distinct from neighboring nations, while other laws kept them away from things that in their culture symbolized death, disease, and moral corruption. Okay, but what about all of the ritual killing of animals? Sacrifices were also ritual symbols that connected people to God. Since you, a mortal, can't ascend up to God's presence in the heavenly temple, a blameless animal that was offered could go up in your place, covering for your failures so you can know you're accepted by God. I see. But not all of the laws are ancient rituals. Some of them are just about being a good person and treating others well. Well, yes, but these laws aren't just about being good. They're about justice, which is a big deal to God. On the first page of the Bible, we learn that every human is made in God's image and is worthy of dignity. And these laws apply that ideal in Israel's day. In fact, these laws still underlie many of the concepts of justice and equality that we take for granted today. But some of the laws don't seem just, like laws that allow for slavery. Well, if you look at those laws in their ancient cultural context, you'll see that God's working with Israel as he finds them, pushing them towards justice. So slavery isn't abolished, but it is undermined. For example, Israel was supposed to reenact the Exodus liberation by releasing slaves and forgiving all debts every seven years. This was revolutionary in the ancient world. All right. 
Now, what about all the laws about Sabbath rest on the seventh day and all the seven-day feasts? I mean, what's up with all of these sevens? Yeah, so these laws about sacred time are all connected to the first creation narrative in Genesis. God brings order out of chaos in six days that each have a clear beginning and end. But when you get to the seventh day, it has no end. That's because it's pointing to the ideal of humans partnering with God in his rule and rest. All of these seven-day feasts are rituals that symbolize humanity's true purpose and future hope. Okay, so all of these laws given to Israel can fit into those basic categories. Yes, and each category expresses a core ideal of God's wisdom. And the laws show how those ideals should be applied in the culture of ancient Israel. But as the story makes clear, Israel failed at fulfilling the law over and over. How is God going to get humans to trust his wisdom? Well, Moses and the prophets after him trusted that one day God would transform the human heart so people can be faithful covenant partners who trust his wisdom. And that brings us to the story of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law. Right. He was the faithful covenant partner that Israel and all humanity was made to be but has failed to be. Jesus lived by the divine ideals underlying the laws. And he taught that the laws are all fulfilled when you love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus promised that God's spirit would come and transform his followers so they too could live this way. And so, when followers of Jesus read these laws today, we need to remember they were given to Israel in their ancient cultural setting. You couldn't follow many of them even if you tried. But what you can do is see God's wisdom in the laws. Right, and trust that God's spirit can guide you to follow that wisdom as you learn to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Let me invite you to open up God's word with me this morning to the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible as we continue looking at this portion of God's story. And so here we are in that portion of the Bible, the law, learning to love God, what it looks like to love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Probably not where you spend your early morning quiet time, uh, but even so, right, this is the word of our God. And so God is showing himself to his people. He's showing himself through his word. He's, he's showing his character, who he is. He's revealing who he is and what he's about. And then he's calling his rescued people to imitate his character. Friends, our God is holy and just. He is holy and just. And he wants his people to reflect his holy and just character. God wants his people to reflect his holy and just just character. That's what we're going to see as we open up this section of God's word today. Through his word, God is teaching us how to live, but he's teaching us how to live in response to who he is and what he has already done for us. And so as we dive into Exodus, once again, as we open up God's word, as we prepare to to read uh, this section, this this, uh, portion of the Bible known as law, as we prepare to read it this morning, let's not hear this Church, as a behavior manual that outlines how we can make God happy. 
Don't reduce it to, to a list of, of rules that we are to follow in order to earn the favor of God. That's not what this is about. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing the character of God, the God who has already shown his favor to us and who calls us to live lives for his glory. So with that in mind, let's prepare to hear from his word. Exodus chapter 22. I'll begin reading in verse 16 and read through chapter 23, verse Nine. And so let me invite you uh, out of honor for uh, God and his word uh, to join me standing for the reading of his holy word, whether in body uh, or in spirit. So let's hear from the Lord. Exodus 22, beginning in verse 16. The Bible says, if a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has relations with an animal is to be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Verse 21, do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people. So do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. Chapter 23, verse 1. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure to help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Would you bow with me? Father, guide us now. Speak to us by the presence and power of your spirit through the preaching of your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As you probably noticed there there is a lot here we could spend literally weeks unpacking this section of God's word but I want us to to hone in this morning on two primary themes in this text holiness and justice and we're going to consider them in that order first God is holy and worthy of honor 
Who is God? God is holy. He is holy and he's worthy of honor. We sang about God's holiness just a few moments ago. To say that God is holy is to say that he is set apart, that he is distinct. There is no one else like God in existence. Never has been, nor will there ever be. He is incomparable in a category all by himself. And so here in Exodus, God has, has rescued a people. He's, he's rescued a people. He's rescued the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he's told them that they are going to be his people, that they're going to be his treasured possession, that they're going to be a holy nation, meaning that they are going to be set apart from the nations and the peoples around them in order to point them to the character of their God. And so believe it or not, in these first few verses, strange as they may sound, God is describing how his rescued people are to reflect who he is. He's describing how his saved people are to reflect his character. And one way that we see here that we can reflect God's character is by pursuing purity. Pursue purity in your relationships. Pursue purity in your relationships. Verses 16 and 17, the first two verses, were meant to guard the sacredness of marriage and to protect women from the premature advances of men. So here's what God is saying. God was saying, in essence, men, if if you cross that line, if you cross that line, you've committed to pay the bride price, which was quite a hefty price, and marry her. This was meant to preserve purity and to protect women. What a far cry that is from our day of cohabitation and promiscuity and pornography. The Bible says to the church, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Brothers and sisters, God wants his people to reflect his holy character. So let's pursue purity, even when it means ridicule or self-denial and self-sacrifice, because we trust God's wisdom, because we trust him, that he knows what he's doing and that he has our best in mind. We trust his wisdom and we long for his name and his reputation to be magnified through our lives. Sorcery, bestiality, idolatry, these are the three Sins that are mentioned in verses 18 through 20, they were common practices among the pagans in Canaan. And God was saying that there is no room for these things among his people because each of them are expressions of turning away from the real God and leading others to do the same. See, at its root, all idolatry is an affront to God's holy character, treating the extraordinary one. This one who is in a category all by himself, treating this extraordinary one as ordinary and profane and common. As church, we must be a people who run from idolatry. God's people are to run from idolatry. We must flee anything and everything that threatens our devotion to the holy God who stooped down to save us. Remember that he called you to know him for who he is. And to rest in his love and to reflect his character in a way that others too might come to know him. Friends, God is worthy of honor. He is holy and set apart. So let's pursue purity. Let's run from idolatry and let's surrender and serve Jesus wholeheartedly. 
surrender and serve Jesus wholeheartedly. In this text, in this text, God calls his people to, to put him first, to put him above everything else, to give him the honor that is due him by speaking rightly about him, verse 28. Uh, By giving him what belongs to him, verse 29 and 30, and by practicing a cleanliness that reflects his holiness, verse 31. So God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be set apart, to be, uh, to be mirrors, reflectors of his character, but we can't. We can't. Not on our own. We cannot live up to this. We, we need Him to rescue us from our sin and to make us holy by transforming our hearts so that we reflect His character. And Jesus, and Jesus, this is what God has done for us. Friend, you'll never reflect the character of God until you see the love of the God who came to save you. It's only by knowing Him. It's only by knowing Him and receiving His love and learning His character. He has saved us. He has rescued us like He rescued Israel. And those He rescues, He calls to imitate His character, to pass on the kind of compassion and mercy that He has indeed shown us. God is a God of compassion. A God who shows compassion to the foreigner and the widow and the orphan. That's the direction then that this text turns. God shows compassion to these people, people that are specifically mentioned in this section, the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan, three groups who were especially vulnerable in the ancient world, naturally susceptible to poverty and to abuse and to neglect. We certainly live in a different time and place. Many of the same things could be said again today. We know that the fatherless are more likely to become victims of abuse, more likely to become trapped by addiction or lured by human traffickers. Uh, Foreigners always start with a disadvantage because they don't know the language or the culture. And yet our God, the one who has rescued us, the one and only one who is extraordinary and holy and distinct and incomparable and set apart, he is described in his word as a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. That's the God that we serve. That's the God who's rescued us. His compassion is all over His Word. His compassion is all over the Bible and all over this text. He shows compassion to the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan. And we see here that He shows mercy on the poor. God is a God who shows mercy on the poor. Verses 25 to 27 warn God's people against exploiting the poor by charging them too much interest. In essence, hear what God says in verse 27. He says, when the poor cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. It's who I am. Church, because our God is compassionate, let's be a people who care for the weak and the vulnerable. Because this is part of who he is, his character, what he's done for us. Let's be a people who care for for the weak and the vulnerable. There are many ways that we can and should do this, but before we consider what to do, we must consider what God has already done, what He has already done for us. And notice here, don't miss this, notice that Moses frames this section. He begins and ends a section here with the clear reminder of what God has already done for His people in rescuing them. Chapter 22, verse 21. Do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner... For you were foreigners in Egypt. 
Chapter 23, verse 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. And so God is saying to his people, he's saying, love your neighbors, every single one of them, because I have loved you. Jesus says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Friend, do you know the mercy of God? Do you know the mercy of the Father who opened His loving arms to us when we were dead in our sins, running from Him, hating Him and oppressing our neighbors? Do you know His mercy? Do you know His saving grace? Do you know His compassion and His kindness that He has shown you on the cross of Calvary where He poured out His wrath upon His Son in your place and in my place? Receive His mercy and be moved to mercy. Be moved by His mercy to show compassion and mercy by caring for the weak. By befriending the countless internationals that flood our city every year for work or university. By considering foster care for the more than 5,000 children in our state alone who need temporary or permanent parents. By volunteering at the Jimmy Hill Mission to become a mentor, a cook, a server, or a chapel leader. By serving widows on your street or in your church family who may need help with yard work or repair work or simply someone to talk to. Church, the God that we worship is gracious and compassionate. He is patient and He is overflowing with a never giving up love for us. How could we not long to respond rightly to His love by loving our neighbors as ourselves? Friends, God wants His people to reflect his holy and just character he is holy and he's worthy of honor he's a god who shows compassion to the foreigner and the widow and the orphan he shows mercy on the poor and finally we see in this text that god always acts with justice god always acts with justice we've seen this theme already as we've Open this portion of god's word in his kingdom there is always perfect justice he always acts with justice And driving across North Mississippi on I-22, there's a billboard you just can't miss. An advertisement for Mama Justice. Your Lady of Justice. Your Lady for Justice. How about you? That that sounds good. That's convincing. And if, if I've been wronged, I believe that Mama Justice would come to my defense. I would want her on my team. If I'm in the wrong, then I probably would not want Mama Justice on my team. We, we hope that our attorneys, every single one of them, value and pursue justice. But we know, church, we know, according to the Bible, that God does. He always does. For in His kingdom there is perfect justice where the innocent are never wrongfully condemned and the guilty are never wrongfully acquitted. God wants, He wants us, He wants His church He wants his people to reflect his commitment to justice. And so he says here in verse 7 of chapter 3, he says, Have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. God expects his people to promote justice for all. He expects his people to promote justice for all. Notice here that he prohibits both the temptation to side with the rich, verse 6, as well as the temptation to side with the poor, verse 3. No, no place for bribes or partiality. God is always honest and just, and he asks the same of us. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly 
and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And friends, as we do just that, as we act justly, loving mercy and walking humbly with our God, we will show Jesus to the world. God wants His people to reflect His holy and just character. And when we Christians think of God's character, we can't help but think of Jesus. We cannot help but think of His Son, the fullness of God in human flesh, the exact representation of His being, God in the flesh, Jesus, the Son of God. Friends, may we reflect the character of our great God by acting like Jesus, by showing Christ to the world through our words and our deeds. The commission that God has given His redeemed is to declare who He is and what He has done in Jesus. And so church, let's proclaim Jesus to the world. Let's proclaim Jesus to the world. We, we can't proclaim Jesus until we know what He has done. Do you know what Jesus has done? Friend, do you know what Jesus has done for you? Let me tell you what He's done. God presented Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. A sacrifice that would mend the broken relationship between God and a sinful humanity, a holy God and a sinful humanity. God presented His Son, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. To be received by faith. He, he did this. God did this to demonstrate His, His righteousness. His commitment to, to justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins com- committed beforehand unpunished. You see those sacrifices depicted in the video, those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices that are laid out in the Old Testament never completely removed sin. They were a temporary picture that allowed a relationship with the Almighty and Holy God ultimately pointing and preparing and anticipating this once and for all sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He did it. God did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just, maintaining His commitment to justice and the one who justifies or declares right those who have faith in Jesus. In the gospel of Jesus, friends, God's perfect justice and His mercy collide, portraying the beautiful and unchanging character of the God who saves. I invite you in closing to hear what one, one teacher has said about these laws, these complex and multifaceted laws that we've been reading in Exodus. He says these laws remind us of the gospel because they come from the same God who sent His Son to be our Savior. We were strangers in the world, alienated from God by our rebellion. We were widows and orphans outside the family of God. We were debtors impoverished by the stinginess of our sinful hearts. But God loved us in Jesus Christ. Jesus became a man, a a real human being, to end our estrangement. Everyone who believes in Jesus is welcomed into God's family. We are no longer widows. The Bible describes the church as a beautiful bride for Jesus Christ. We are no longer orphans because through faith in Christ we have been adopted as sons and daughters of God the Father. God has even paid the debt that we owe for sin by sending Jesus to die on the cross. Friends, what a God. What a God that we worship. What a God that we praise. What a God that we're called to know and to follow and to reflect in this world. This God wants us to reflect His holy and just character. He wants His people to reflect His character. A character that is most clearly seen in 
Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Father, help us to know your Son. Help us to know our Savior. Father, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear and faith to believe. Help us to surrender and to follow Jesus and to know you through him. Lord, to be a people of surrender and self-sacrifice that we might know you and make you known. Lord, lead us to commit ourselves to you. Stir our hearts, work in us by the presence and power of your Spirit residing in your people to continually transform us more and more into the image of your Son, our Savior, that we might reflect your goodness and your grace. And Lord, guide us now as we respond to you. Father, as we commit and recommit to follow after Jesus, Lord, to live our lives for your glory, to invite you to continually shape us by your Spirit. Be glorified in us. Move us to serve you. For the glory of your name, it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.